So, Mark. Yes? This is our third Disney rom-com. We've done Splash. We've done Can't Buy Me Love. Now we're doing Pretty Woman. I actually had no idea that all of these were ultimately Disney. Yeah, all these are produced by Disney. In yeah. the 80s and the 90s, and really into the 2000s with Miramax, Disney was producing a lot of teen and adult targeted movies like this. Doesn't Disney own... No, they sold Miramax. They shut it down. Yeah, Miramax doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. But Miramax was a division of Disney. Yeah, so... Isn't it weird to think about the fact that Disney made Pulp Fiction? Yeah. That one always gets me. So all of these things were under the Disney umbrella in this particular window. Particularly, I associate a lot with the era where Jeffrey Katzenberg was doing a lot there. Yeah. But why do you think they've drifted away from that kind of stuff? Because um, they're exclusively doing tentpoles now, pretty much. That's true. I mean, you think about Disney's slate for this year. They've got Black Panther, Wrinkle in Time, Infinity War, Incredibles. Yeah. Ant-Man and the Wasp. Yeah, they're all very... Like, Star Wars in, in there. Merchandise-y. Yeah, it's like like you said, everything is a tentpole. Yeah. Everything can do merchandise. Everything is supposed to be like a four-point movie and bring in as many people as possible. Yeah, and like the only non-tentpole movie you, just, you said was Wrinkle in Time. Which is but, being marketed as a tentpole. Yeah, it's like directed by Ava DuVernay. It has Oprah. Oprah. It's being marketed like a tentpole. And it's from a recognizable property. Right, but so. you don't see Disney like producing an R-rated movie like this. No. Anymore. I guess, I don't know. They have some good ones, but they probably didn't make a lot of money off of them. Like, some of them were hits. But right, like this. Yeah, like this one, but not all of them. In contrast, you've got stuff now where the gambles that they take are less on something like Pretty Woman and more on something like Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah. Where there's a real gamble to it, but it's still within a larger property that's going to fit them off. And then they can spin that off into a theme park ride. Like in Disney's California Adventure, the Tower of Terror is now... Guardians of the Galaxy Mission Breakout. Is it really? Yeah, it's a Guardians of the Galaxy ride there now. That's kind of sad. Tower of Terror is a classic. It's a great ride. It's still there at Hollywood Studios in Florida. Good. I don't think they'd get rid of that one, because that is like the quintessential idea of Hollywood Studios. It's one of the big landmarks there. Right. But at California Adventure, fun fact about Guardians of the Galaxy Mission Breakout, which I have not been on, because it wasn't there the last time. I, was I know Disneyland. exactly what's going to happen. When you're walking out of the ride, there oh are voices God. of a lot of characters, and one of the voices you can hear is Seth Green's Howard the Duck. Uh, and you say you don't shoehorn them in. We were having a legitimate conversation about Disney no, and we marketability. Weren't. We totally were. An interesting trends and in how Disney has changed over the last couple decades. Uh, I, this one I didn't see coming. Um, oh, guys. Duck talk is always right where you need it to be. Okay. Anyway, it's time for Heart of Podness. I'm Mark, and I'm gay. And I'm Will, and I'm a ginger, and that was your weekly installment of Duck Talk. Oh, boy. This is a podcast where we delve deep into cinematic love stories to answer the age-old question, does Hollywood romance actually make any sense? And are these people dateable? Are any of them actually likable? It doesn't matter if the romance is the main plot or a one-scene flirtation. We'll dig in. We'll see what's there. And this is nice. Mm -hmm. We've taken kind of a detour through a lot of our favorite fandoms. We yeah. did Marvel. We did Harry Potter. We did the Muppets. And now we're back in rom-com territory. Those three kind of sum up Will's personality as a human. In a lot of ways. Yeah. In a lot of ways. But we're back in rom-com territory, and we're doing Pretty Woman, directed by Hollywood legend Gary Marshall. Hot take. Not good. Um, Interesting. I think it is problematic in a lot of ways. I think it's a good movie. I just kept getting taken out of it because of how many issues there were. And I feel like they were issues at the time. Yes, they were. Like, it, this isn't a, totally a changing values thing. No, no, no. Like, I feel like this would have been seen by some people as problematic at the time. Totally. Daryl Hannah turned down the role of Vivian because of that. Good for her. Just uh. a couple of years removed from Splash. <laughs> Which, you know interesting movie remember splash is the movie where she's just wandering around naked for a while and everybody is going nuts wow i totally forgot about the mobbing scene when she shows at up liberty island liberty island it's so weird yeah so i think that you're right that people at the time would have considered it problematic too yeah. like, there's a lot that's not working and i think part of it is a disconnect between what the movie sometimes thinks it's doing and what it is doing yeah the movie thinks that it is really about in a lot of ways sort of love beating out money and success but it doesn't always stick the landing on that and no. the class and power imbalances make it tricky to make that work on any level yeah and there's also the issue of vivian acts like she 
is trying to be independent and she doesn't want to be bought by this guy. Which they set up early when, for example, someone recommends that she get a pimp to get her more work. And she says, no, she wants to be able to set her own schedule, manage her own money, manage her own life. But, like, towards the end, they reveal that her big fantasy is to be swept off her feet and rescued by a man so she doesn't have to do any more work in her life. Which sort of runs counter to the story of her life, where she had decided to up and leave and go make a life for herself, and then she wasn't willing to go back. Yeah, it makes no sense. It comes out of nowhere, and it just brings us back to the point that all women are looking to be rescued. I think that's fair. And it's so annoying because at the end, they even try and like put a sheen of like female empowerment back on where the last line is like, and then she rescues him right back or whatever. But yeah, there's no evidence of that. If you argue that in the movie, Edward's arc is about finding fulfillment outside of his work as I'm going to use an old Rick Perry line as a vulture capitalist, (laughs) which is how Rick Perry described Mitt Romney in 2012. If you say that the arc is about him finding fulfillment outside of that and wanting to build things rather than take them apart, I mean, I think it's difficult to draw a direct line between that happening because of Vivian, although it definitely does. We don't always see his thought process. And so I think that's the argument, that she is helping him redirect into a more fulfilling life. But there is still an imbalance there. It just wasn't enough to be as self-congratulatory as the movie felt. That's how I feel. There's a lot that didn't work for me. Yeah. There's a lot that did work for me. I'm a sucker for a Gary Marshall movie. Yeah, I figured. <laughs> Which I will admit. But yeah, no, this is good because it means we're going to have a lot to talk about. Yeah. A lot to dig in. So we're actually mostly doing it because I was at Best Buy over Christmas and I dug through their cheap Blu-ray bin and I felt like this was something we should watch since neither of us had. Yeah. And you could tell it was an old Blu-ray because it contained an ad for Blu-ray itself For the at format the you're already watching. Yeah, like you already spent money on a Blu-ray, which means you own a Blu-ray player. Why are you advertising Blu-ray? My favorite Blu-ray ads were the ones, they were on Disney Blu-rays. Well, they were on Disney DVDs for the Blu-rays. And it was a super cut of characters in Disney movies saying the word blue. I remember that one. And, and it I included, thought at the time it was so weird. It included Lumiere from Beauty and the Beast saying, Sacre Bleu. <laughs> <laughs> Which is not the same thing. It's not the same thing, but it does mean blue yeah. in French, I think. Does it? Yeah. Because what it is, I think, is it's like, it's an oh my gosh. Instead of like sacre dieu, it's sacre bleu. So you're not saying actually God. There we go. So I think one thing that's worth noting when we talk about this movie is that it was not always the movie that we got. Right. Like with Can't Buy Me Love, Jeffrey Katzenberg, who was producer at the time, was directly involved in reworking a lot of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, the original title of this movie was 3000. It's the year 3000. Well, that's the issue. Prostitution is legal. That's the price that Vivian tells Edward it would be for her to stay with him for a week. Right. $3,000. But Katzenberg said, no, it sounds like a science fiction movie. We're not doing that. And so he suggested they keep working on the title. And they landed on Pretty Woman with, like, Can't Buy Me Love, they already had the song rights to. That makes sense. How does this keep happening to Disney in the 80s? Because they probably just bought up a bunch of song rights. Yeah, I guess so. Like to popular songs. That makes sense. So it was originally 3000 also was not a rom-com. It was like a gritty prostitution drama. Right. I heard that. Like it was supposed to be a like a dark exploration of class and other issues like that. But then they reworked it into this uh, fun rom-com about, you know pretty people falling in love yeah and like drugs were gonna be a much bigger element so like vivian was gonna be addicted to drugs and part of the deal was that she had to stay clean for the week that she was working with edward that sounds like a much more interesting movie to me there would definitely be an extra and there is a scene in the movie where he thinks she is doing drugs yeah the first night that she stays over she's in the bathroom yeah and he comes in oh in this movie yeah in this movie yeah yeah he comes in and he thinks she's doing drugs but she's actually flossing but she doesn't want him to see because it's not sexy right Because flossing isn't, you know, the most intimate of acts. My favorite thing that I learned about the production of this movie is that they consider Daniel Day-Lewis and Denzel Washington for the role of Edward. Interesting. I think Denzel would be really interesting in that role. I just like the idea of uh, if they cast Daniel Day-Lewis and then did the reworking and we have an alternate Daniel Day-Lewis who does rom-coms like James Marsden or something. Oh, yeah. That would be so weird to think about. He's not that type of leading man material, I would say. So they eventually, of course, landed with our two leads, Richard Gere and mm-hmm. Julia Roberts. And Julia Roberts was mostly unknown at this point. She had done Mystic Pizza, but not much else. What? <laughs> Mystic Pizza. Mystic I pizza. always think of 30 Rock. The Mystic Pizza. The Mystic Pizza musical. When life keeps handing you anchovies, just-
just cover them up with some extra cheese and make a pizza. Oh boy. That's a great, great show. That's a great bit, yeah. Uh, and this movie was, despite its shifts, despite the fact that Julia Roberts was not huge yet, this is really the movie that makes her right. a big this star. Is her big, her big break. And it is impossible to watch this movie, whatever you think of it, and not come away with the idea that Julia Roberts is a movie star. Yeah, that's fair. Even though, like, I would say it's not her performance; it's the directing. But okay, there's a fair. lot of like issues I have with the character of Vivian. But I think her performance is really strong. I would say so. And the movie was insanely huge. Yeah, it made 178 million dollars domestic. It made 463 million globally, and for context, that puts it above every Marvel movie except for the two Avengers ones in terms of box office. That's ridiculous. Yeah, it's crazy. It also had really long legs. It was first at the box office for four non-consecutive weeks. Yeah, it was first, and then it was second for a couple of weeks, and then it came back to first for three weeks, and then it stayed in the top five for 12 weeks. That's insane. Which is crazy. Julia Roberts, she was nominated for an Oscar. She won the Golden Globe for actress in a comedy. Mm-hmm. And then Richard Gere and Hector Elizondo were both nominated for Golden Globes. It was the fourth biggest movie of the year. I, um, Hector Elizondo does a good job, but I don't know if it's a Golden Globe-worthy performance. I mean, I don't know what other movies were out in 1990. Yeah, that's fair. It's just like he, he doesn't have that much to do. No, he's a, playing a nice Hector Elizondo character. Yeah, that's all he's doing. As he always does in Gary Marshall movies. Oh, boy. Apparently, Gary Marshall used to have a clause in his contracts, sometimes before he knew what the movie was, or before there was a script saying that Hector Elizondo had to have a role. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, sometimes you just get that person. Imagine yeah. having Hector Elizondo as your muse. That'd be great. I've just got you. Oh, gross. Um, but it's probably time for us to talk about the movie itself. Yeah. And the Pretty Woman really has two main plot lines that run in tandem. Right. We've got the romance between Edward and Vivian. The romance slash business arrangement between Edward and Vivian. Business that evolves into romance. Yeah. And then also the efforts by Edward's corporation to buy a company so they can cannibalize it and sell off its parts. A family-owned corporation that the owner started and wants to pass off to his grandson, but it's not doing well. So that's why there's the emotional element to it. This movie takes Mitt Romney in the 80s and turns him into a romantic lead. Was Mitt Romney, like, a thing? Like, did people know about him? No, he wouldn't have been famous, but, like, this is what he was doing in the 80s. Yeah. Edward is playing a Mitt Romney role. That's insane. Yeah. It's such a weird thing that you can do that and make that much money. Yeah. I feel like one of the weird things that I never got is Edward says his first car is a limousine, which makes me think he comes from money, but they also yes. imply that he like worked his way up in this industry and made a lot of money. So I don't know. Oh, if... I did not get that sense. No? No. Okay. He definitely was... came from money because there's yeah. a whole thing where when his parents separated, it's pretty heavily implied that his dad got all the money and his mom did not. So why don't we start talking about this movie? And one of the weird things about those plots, we're not going to talk about the business one really at all because these plots are completely disconnected. Yeah. They intersect a couple of times. They are the reason that Hector, that Edward and Vivian get together. And that's basically it. In Iron Man, the action and the romance converged pretty frequently. Like movement in one would spur movement in the other. Right. But that's not really the case here. Yeah, because it's not even directly clear that It is because of Vivian that he has this change of heart. It's implied. Jason Alexander talks about how he's been different this week and how maybe that's the idea. But also, for example, his live-in girlfriend leaves him at the beginning of this movie. Yeah. So there are a lot of changes that he's going through. Another movie sparked by a spiral sparked by a breakup that happens over the phone. Yeah. Just like in Splash. Splash. Although I'm also kind of convinced that he is fairly recently divorced because... He's asked if he has a wife, and he talks about how he has an ex-wife who lives in his ex-house with his ex-dog, which to me like seemed bitter enough that it seemed kind of recent. Yeah, I'd but, say so. But then also he had a girlfriend living with him in New York who also leaves him at the start of the movie because she complains that she talks to his secretary more than she talks to him. Which is confirmed when at the same party where he's on the phone with his girlfriend, he asks another ex- if did, that was true. Yeah, he asked, like, did you talk to my secretary more than me? And her response is just, she was a bridesmaid at my wedding. <laughs> yeah. Which I love. It's a pretty funny That line. was a good line. Yeah. So that's good. That's actually our first scene. So why don't we use that to dive into our first point? When we cover a movie, we break it down into the five points that best exemplify the romantic plot line. Mm-hmm. And our first point picks up after Edward leaves that party. 
and he's trying to get back to his hotel, but he doesn't know his way around. And he's driving a stick shift, but he doesn't know how to drive stick. Right. He's in L.A. just for the week. This is our first L.A. set movie. Really? Yeah. We've been doing a lot of New York ones. Yeah. And the, so Those Muppets took those Manhattan. Mu- they took Manhattan. But you know what? There was a Manhattan melody with it. And so Edward finds himself driving down Hollywood Boulevard, and that's where he encounters Vivian. Yeah. So Vivian, the way she's been kind of characterized is the first thing you see of Vivian is pictures with the man's face cut out or, or burned out by her yeah. cigarette, stuff like that, to show like she's been hurt, she's vulnerable. And uh, on the Hollywood Walk of Fame, one of the things that we learned pretty quickly is that the prostitutes who work Hollywood Boulevard divide their territory by stars on the Walk of Fame. Yeah, by celebrities, so which like, was funny. So you have, and I'm going to make up some names, like you have from... Uh, Orson Welles to Joan Rivers. And then you have Julia Roberts to Richard Gere. Oh, I see what you did there. And Richard Gere comes to Julia Roberts trying to find directions. Mm -hmm. And so she haggles. She says it's going to cost you $20 to get directions. And he tries to blow her off and she's like, fine, I don't need directions. And then she says $10 and then she says for $20, i will show you. Right. So she gets in the car with him. He struggles to drive. He doesn't know how to drive stick. Because he really doesn't clear. know. Yeah. So, and then she's a car person. Um, I guess to establish that she's like cool. one of the guys, which counteracts all of the later characterization of her. And so, so they switch and she drives the rest of the, the way hotel. to the hotel. Yeah. They actually had a hard time getting a car for this because a lot of top car companies like Porsche didn't want to be associated with a prostitution movie. Fair. So they had to kind of go down the list. Yeah, they, nice it car. was like a Lotus, I think. Yeah. Uh, my favorite thing in this car trip to the hotel is that she's just like basically spouting random trivia that she knows. And one of the things she says is that the car would probably work better for women because the pedals are so close and women typically have smaller feet. Yeah. And then she says, do you know that your foot is the same size as the length from your elbow to your wrist? Which both of us then checked. Yeah, we immediately started bringing our feet to our forearms. And we can confirm your foot At is the length. At least for both of us, from your it elbow was true. To your wrist. Yeah, check that yourself. Uh, send us pictures. <laughs> Tweet at us. Tweet at us at Heart of Podness. Hashtag foot forearm. <laughs> Hashtag foot forearm. Let us know. We are foot forearm truthers. We want to know the truth. Yeah, we need more evidence. We need a very broad-based study for this to be scientifically yeah what do you think is a good sample size like five thousand yeah all five thousand of you out there tweet it out spread the word hashtag foot forearm (laughs) let's get this trending people until like a member of the senate joins the foot forearm campaign we're not done okay so another thing she asked is do you think i look like carol channing which i also found funny oh because she has the wig on yeah she does kind of look like carol channing yeah she does it's a bad wig. It is a bad wig. It's a blonde wig that she's wearing over her you know, actual It's a blonde bob. Hair. So they get to the hotel, and she's waiting at a bus stop to then head back up to her turf. Yep. When he comes over and asks her the rates to have her come up with him. Yeah. And so it's $100 per hour. Right. And he's originally, he's pretty surprised by this. Yeah. Thinks it's a little pricey, which is kind of rude. I don't know anything about prostitution, so I can't comment on that. Yeah. But they go into the hotel. He puts his coat on her to hide her prostitution garb. Yeah. It's kind of like a weird inversion of chivalry. Right. He's trying to hide her because it'll cause a scandal at the hotel. Which it does. Yes. Which is actually an ongoing plot line throughout this movie. The people at the hotel scandalized by her. Yeah. Because it's really fancy hotel in Beverly Hills. So they go up to the penthouse, which is where he's staying. There's a whole thing about how he's afraid of heights, but he... Stays in the penthouse because it's the best. There's a joke about how difficult key cards are, which I found really funny. Yeah, nice period joke. He actually says, I miss keys. He asked her to stay the night. She says $300 for the full night. Right. Um, I did want to point out that the penthouse had some pretty ugly furniture. It was very nice it's supposed to be. Very ugly furniture. I was very disappointed. I don't find it implausible. No. But I find it ugly. Yeah. So he invites her to spend the night. This is where she goes and flosses, and he says... Don't do drugs. And she says, I haven't done drugs since I was 14. And they go through the night. Like, there's stuff where she's watching TV while he makes business calls. Which I found that scene really weird. Because she's sitting on the floor, like, legs crossed, eating popcorn, laughing at the TV. 
and it's very infantilizing. And then she goes immediately into giving him a blowjob. So, like I said, everything I know about prostitution comes from TV and movies. Yeah. But I was struck by sort of a class difference in the portrayal of Vivian, who, for example, focuses on like an hourly thing and very much has a kind of like get in, get out attitude, Mm -hmm. as opposed to somebody like Lori on the West Wing or the call girl that Pierce dates on Community, where there is sort of more of a, like, hanging out, conversation-based, where the sex is almost secondary. Well, that's, like, the difference between an escort and a prostitute. Right. But also, the issue is, it comes up throughout the movie, where they kind of infantilize this character, who is a sex worker, which I just... It kind of threw me off, and it made me a little uncomfortable. So it I didn't just... take it as infantilizing. I took it as it was a very different sort of situation with this work than she was used to. Whereas, like, I think she is used to a sort of get-in, get-out kind of attitude. Yeah. Whereas this hanging out sort of behavior is is a space where she doesn't really know what to do with herself. But the whole, like, the fact that she was sitting cross-legged and laughing out loud at I Love Lucy while he's sitting sternly in a chair, like, talking about business, it feels very much like a father-knows-best situation where, like, it's, you know, the older man is on the phone talking about business. It's, like, supposed to be the dad. And then she immediately starts sucking his dick. And yeah. I was just very thrown, and I was like, oh, so it's back to women are helpless. Like, it's infantilizing her, even though she's a sex worker. And so, I don't know. It was just, I didn't like it. It and, took me out of it. Okay. I think that's fair. Yeah. I think the movie doesn't always know what to do with her character. It has a real idea of what it wants her to be, which is a lot of what you're talking about. That's my main thing. It's just... He also calls her young lady later, or no, Hector Elizondo calls her young lady, and it's just... So he takes a very sort of paternal attitude. Yeah, he does, and it's still just, she's, you know, clearly grown up, she's on her own, and, you know, I think she has daddy issues too later, it's brought up, they're just throwing a lot of stuff where she's supposed to be like an innocent child who needs to be saved. So I think that Edward thinks of her that way. I don't think that she thinks of herself No, that way. she doesn't, but the movie is portraying her that way. Do you think so? Yeah, and there is an age difference, too. Yes, there is. Because he's, like, 40, and she's supposed to be probably, like, in her 20s. Do you think he's 40? He was 40 when they filmed it. Oh, really? Yeah. I thought he was younger than that. No, I, I think I looked it up, and he was at least approaching 40. Okay. So it was just, that was my issue, mm-hmm. is, like, to make her seem innocent, they went for a childlike innocence in a lot of ways to, like, counteract the fact that she is a prostitute. They tried to make her, like, you know, to show her an innocent light. Like, she's different from all the others because she doesn't do drugs. And it just kind of made her too childlike where it became almost a creepy relationship. And it, of course, is playing into sort of storytelling cliches of, like, the hooker with the heart of gold kind of deal. Which can be done pretty well. I think Firefly does a really good job of that. Yeah. But... It's also a very easy thing to do very wrong. Yeah, and then you add the fact that he's older and rich and, like, has a very classist attitude towards it. Just makes it all the Which the movie calls out a lot, but ultimately kind of buys into. Yeah. So the big takeaway here is that she says she does everything, but she doesn't kiss on the mouth. There's a whole thing about how you don't do that because then you'll get emotionally attached. Yeah, that's pretty classic. Yeah, and so that's our first point. The next morning, he hires her for the week. Right. Because while he's in town, he's going to be doing a lot of business meetings. And it's the kind of thing where people think he should have a date. And his lawyer specifically recommends that he find a girl. When you have business meetings over dinner, adding the female presence makes it less threatening. So I think that's the goal there. So he hires her for the whole week, and that's where we get our $3,000. Right. And the alternate title of the movie. It's also interesting that they were just doing 3000 and not $3,000. Yeah. That's where the sci-fi element comes in, because it's just the number. Right, exactly. I definitely agree with that title change. 3,000, starring Julia Roberts. I'd probably watch that movie. Yeah, I would do it. But, like we said, that takes us to our second point, which is the next day. In the middle of the next day, she has to go and get new clothes. There's a whole thing. That's where Hector Elizondo comes in, because he helps her get the clothes. After confronting her about the way she dresses. And her general being. And the night after they originally meet, there's a business meeting Mm -hmm. where she is his date, basically. It's him, Vivian, the owner of the company he's trying to buy up so he can break it apart, and the son of that owner. Yeah. That's the four of them having a dinner meeting. And at this meeting, she's wearing a cocktail 
length dress. It's like she's the. It's a nice dress. It's a nice dress. The lady who helps her find it is like, oh, for this type of event, we should probably look for a cocktail dress. But she's wearing dinner gloves. Long black gloves. Like she has long. They're not opera length, but they are like almost up to her elbow. And it is very weird because you don't expect to see dinner gloves with a cocktail dress this faux pas set mark aflame (laughs) i was just very it just looks off this is when mark turned against this movie yeah this is what (laughs) it wasn't the issues of pedophilia he started started googling other things to get angry about. (laughs) yeah it was just the fashion faux pas dinner gloves with a cocktail dress um i think your comment about the infantilizing stuff is there is a sort of running bit in this scene about how she doesn't know how to eat any of the food. That's pretty classic joke. Yeah. I did enjoy the snail getting thrown with the maitre d' catching it. That was a fun touch. But so they have this meeting and then they go back upstairs to the room. There's a sort of very odd conversation where Edward says, you and I are such similar creatures, Vivian. We both screw people for money. He's talking about his work. Yeah. As a vulture capitalist. How he, you know, takes people's companies that they've worked so hard to build and destroys them and sells them off for parts. And Vivian even compares it to a scrap shop, like where people take stolen cars and sell them for parts. Yeah. He has one of his many talks about his daddy issues. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, boy, howdy. They probably have like three or four different conversations about his daddy issues. I wrote a note that just said he's used to getting his way. I don't remember why I wrote that. I feel like they fight. In this scene? Yeah, because then he ru- he goes down. He gets annoyed with her for sitting on the edge of the balcony. That was A it. bunch because he's yeah. terrified of heights. And she's like, no, it's fine. She, like, leans back. I was almost getting freaked out there. Yeah, Will was a little nervous. She leaned pretty far back over. And, like, I know it's a movie and Julia Roberts didn't die. Right. But it felt like she might. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was pretty close, but eh. So he leaves. He goes downstairs. And after a while, she follows him, and she finds him playing piano. Oh, this is why. Because he says, everyone, could you please leave the room? Oh, and everyone yeah. does leave. Right. And it's it all, shows his power. It's all hotel staff cleaning yeah. up the, the room. And it's supposed to show that he has a artistic soul. And then she goes and sits on the piano. And as soon as she sat, my first thought was just, is he going to eat her out on this piano? And he does. Did he? I thought they just had sex on the piano. I mean, he does a lot of, like, stomach kissing and down and then they cut away so it's hard to know exactly what they did there's a lot of banging piano keys yeah but it's very plausible that he just started eating her out on the piano this is a disney movie which also feels very intimate they don't kiss on the mouth though they do show a kind of going in and then a move away there are a couple of times where he tries to go in for it and she turns away yeah in various scenes in this movie but so they have sex on the piano and that takes us then to our third point which is the next event that they go to together. It's a polo game where the son of the CEO is playing polo, which is the ultimate show of rich person decadence. Oh, for sure. Oh, is this after she goes shopping for the second time? I believe it is. Yeah, because there was a great line when they were shopping for the second time, I wanted to say, where he just goes, stores are not nice to people. They're nice to credit cards. Right. Which I just really enjoyed. Yeah, they buy a bunch of stuff. They order pizza to the store while they're buying so much stuff. Yeah, because he gets mad that people are rude to her. Right, the first time she tried to buy. And that's when then she also is dressed up fancy and goes back to the first store that had turned her away. Right. And does that whole... Big mistake. Huge. (laughs) Which I first learned from the office when Mindy Kaling goes on a big reenactment of it. Right. And then this is where they just give the pretty woman song tease. Oh, the only time they play it, they play like the opening bars without any music and that was it. And um, then they cut it off. I was livid. This uh, is the thing that had me maddest in the movie. Yeah. We both had our weird pet peeves. Yeah. Later on, they did give us the full song and it was the credits song. Which is what I assumed was going to happen. So I was excited when they started playing it. Honestly, I was mad that there wasn't an egregious title drop in this movie. I wanted at some point in the movie for like Hector Elizondo to be like, you are a pretty woman. <laughs> that would just feel so forced. It would have been no so one phrases funny. it that way. It would have been so funny. I would have died. You know I love title drops. Oh, I know. The cornier the better. It all happened while you were sleeping. That's so bad. And that's the thing. Like, If Splash had ended with like, and it all started... With a splash. <laughs> I would have been there for it. <laughs> I would have died. Yeah. Okay, but back to Pretty Woman. Okay, point number three. They're at the polo place. And 
The big issue here comes from oh, right. Jason Alexander, who plays Edward's number two, whose name I believe is George Costanza. <laughs> yeah, I think he's playing George Costanza. This is like right around the time that Seinfeld started. So he is Edward's lawyer and probably the person Edward is shown to be closest to. Right. So he's the only person he confides in the fact that he has hired Vivian. Right, which comes up in this scene, actually. Right. Because Vivian starts talking to David Morse, the son of the CEO, the polo player. Right, because they'd met at dinner. I saw nothing wrong with it. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with it. David says hey to her, they start chatting, and Jason Alexander freaks out and is going over to Edward because he thinks she's a spy right an industrial spy because she's company she's petting a horse how dare she well jason alexander thinks of the other company as the enemy right and he's a very confrontational mindset adversarial mindset right so he's freaking out and so to get him to calm down and not go nuts edward says like no she's not a spy she's a prostitute i hired her right which sends jason alexander into full creep zone oh boy it is horrible and it just gets it worse. just gets worse but so he heads right over to her and basically like propositions her and he's married yes he is and she talks to him or he talk. you know i think she's being polite and then he just goes like so how much would it be for when you're done with him or whatever yeah and she gets very offended it's very sleazy which is fair because she doesn't want a pimp that's been established right and so she thinks this feels like edward is edward is pimping her out to his friends hey here's this prostitute like yeah check her out which leads to a really big fight right and then I think it's even mentioned, like, he even throws the fact that he was talking to Morse in her face during the fight. Like, she's not even allowed to talk to other men. I don't, or does that come up later? I don't remember that. Oh, no, that's later. Okay. And I just remember at one point he gets very um, aggressively possessive. I didn't think it was aggressive. Um, so we'll talk about the fight in a second because I want to talk about the fight. But he does say at one point, sort of when they're making up after the fight, and I didn't take it as said aggressively, but yeah. that he had been kind of jealous seeing her talking to David Morse. Oh, that was it. I didn't think it was aggressively phrased. No. It is very possessive. It's just very possessive, and it's like, when you add in the fact that he like bought her, but their relationship will end, and he still's like, I don't like seeing you talk to other men. It's like, dude. For the movie, it's trying to signal that like he has feelings for her. Right. But the power imbalance at the center of this movie makes right. it difficult to signal something when, like that. Yeah, and when little things just keep adding up to make me disconnect, mm-hmm. where I'm like, I don't like it. I think this movie has a lot that would work in a lot of other romantic comedies, which is why it did can, well. can win you over and why yeah. it did well. But that power imbalance, the central issue that he is paying her to be there and that he therefore has a certain amount of authority over her means that this relationship has a different tone than it would otherwise. Right. But this fight, when they get back to the hotel, she's really mad at him. And she says she feels like she's being pimped out, like she's being passed around like some kind of hooker. Yeah. And that's when he says to her, like, you are, in fact, a hooker. And she packs up. She leaves. She says, I want my money. I've never had anyone make me feel as cheap as you did today. And then she ultimately leaves without the money. She doesn't even want it. Yeah. Because he pays her, and then she just leaves it on the bed. And she goes out, but the elevator doesn't come. And so he's able to catch her. He catches her in the lobby. And he apologizes. Well, it's the lobby of the penthouse. Right. The elevator lobby. And he says that it was stupid and cruel. He didn't want her to leave, and he had been jealous of her talking to David Morse. And And it was stupid and cruel. Yes. Especially the way that he told Jason Alexander, because it was kind of like laughing incredulously at Jason Alexander for being an idiot, but he should have thought about what he was saying. Right. And about the implications of it. It was weird. And then the elevator boy shows up, I think. The elevator boy is the worst character in this movie. He's worse than Jason Alexander. Yeah. Oh, God. What did he bring? Nothing. Jason Alexander actually was, like, at least plot relevant. He's a source of conflict in the movie. Yeah. He also, my favorite note about this character is that he had a tiny, like, pool table on his desk. And so at one point when he gets word of something, he's moving the tiny pool table. Yeah. It was kind of funny. Okay. So they make up, and then this is where they go on their big fancy night out. Yes. And this is our fourth point. Yes. Which, this is where the classic scene of where he shows her the necklace and then he closes it on her fingers which was improvised right and she giggles and they actually fly up to san francisco for a night at the opera which i asked nick about because he's from san francisco i was Mm -hmm. just like would it really be worth flying to san francisco for the opera and apparently it's like second to new york oh nice san francisco opera so then i was just like checks out and that's future guest nick who will be on our next episode yeah uh coming on to talk about a movie we will announce 
at the end of the episode. And also on Facebook several weeks ago. Yeah. <laughs> but I actually did check in on the opera, uh, and the opera they go to see is La Traviata, which is about a prostitute who falls in love with a rich man. Oh, of course. Yes. Um, One thing I found, all of the cinematography of their big fancy night out, which is supposed to be like a big moment, I found to be like some of the worst cinematography in the movie. There it's... are a lot of really awkward shots. Yeah, it doesn't quite know what to do with their box that they're sitting in. Right. And, like, driving up to the airplane, I remember you even commented, like, this is bad. Or I don't something remember, like that. I believe you. It was just, like, you know, it was supposed to be the big, not the climax, but, like, the big fancy yeah. filming. Look, this is no Princess Diaries in the Gary Marshall canon. True. Oh, that's a great that movie. That movie is incredible. I love that one. Yeah. The worst thing about that movie is Eminem Pizza, which is, like, her cute in thing with Michael. I don't remember this. Oh, Anne Hathaway, the dude that she's into, is really into M&M pizza. Oh, that's right. Which is definitely disgusting. Yeah. Ew. I'm going to eat some pizza after this, probably. Have fun. It'll be great. Um, So after that... The next day, she tells him to take the day off. Right. Which is something that has apparently never occurred to him. He's like, take a day off of work. Yeah. Apparently, he's never been sick in his entire life. Yeah. Um, so they I don't go- really get sick. I haven't taken a day off because of sickness... In years. I mean, also, I want to point out that taking a day off for sickness isn't a sign of weakness. It's also a consideration to your coworkers no, who totally. you could get sick. I agree. Especially in school when students would show up who were, like, really sick. I was just like, I don't want to get sick. If the students are, like, falling over sick, yes, they should be out there. It annoys me when students are out of school and they're like, I have this cold. I'm like, we all have colds. It's November. Yeah. It's just... Put your butt in the seat. I just get annoyed when I'm sitting next to someone who's, like, dripping snot for the entire class. It's just like, well, now I'm going to get sick. I'm it's... sorry. Yeah. But, so they go on their date where they're just kind of hanging around in the park. They yeah. read Shakespeare. They eat at a cheap restaurant. She's teaching him how to, like, have fun like a normal person. Yes. Which is, like, you know, supposed to be the, oh. She's teaching him how to human. Right. She's teaching him how to be a normal a human. In this Pygmalion, they're both the robots. Robots? Is Pygmalion the robot? No. I mean, I know it's Greek, but I thought it was, like, a machine thing. Oh, the original yeah, one. Yeah, the original Pygmalion. It's a statue. Yeah. Yeah. Which, Pygmalion, I think, originally is the sculptor. Oh, really? Yeah. I thought Pygmalion was the statue. I think he's the sculptor. I've just seen My Fair Lady. <laughs> yeah. I have also not even, I have not read Pygmalion, like the play, but I do think that Pygmalion is the name of the sculptor and if the you've statue read Pygmalion is named something. And can confirm this, uh, send us an email. Or know the original Greek myth. Yeah, also. send us an email and we will read it and be enlightened. Yeah, we will teach everyone. We'll tweet it out. Yeah. Um. So after this, that's where he asked her to like basically become his not his mistress because he's not married but well, before that that night when they yeah. go back to the hotel while he's sleeping she kisses his face and he wakes oh, up right. while she's kissing his face so they do some mouth kissing the big no-no oh no yeah. and so the next day he says that he'd like to keep seeing her he says he'd give her an apartment a car money like, yeah she'd be able to live comfortably she'd be a kept woman and she says basically like she'd still be a prostitute right and she doesn't want to be in that kind of weird permanent situation right she wants you where know she's like a personal prostitute for him yeah she wants control over her life even though later she says i don't want control over my life i just want to be rescued i mean there's a scene i think during their date when they're out in the park yeah where she talks about how as a little girl she had sort of imagined herself as like a princess in a tower kind of deal yeah and the knight riding up on his white horse yeah which comes up later yeah when they talk about that i made a note that I feel like one of the challenges for rom-coms, unless they're deliberately trying to subvert the tropes of the genre, is that it's a fundamentally conservative genre. Oh, for sure. Because the rom-com is really bound by the marriage plot in a lot of ways. Yeah. And so unless they're very specifically trying to counter that, the sort of gravitational pull of the genre is trying to put things in a very conventional relationship. Yeah. And And where this movie, I think, fails mostly is when it takes some of the interesting ideas that it has and then surrenders then back to that more conventional gender role, marriage plot kind of situation. Right, and it all just ends up back where it started. Where the ending scene could be the ending scene of a lot of romantic comedies. But that's true of pretty much every romantic comedy. I mean, except for while you were sleeping, because not many people would get married on an L train. Which is my favorite thing. I know. I would love to get married in a train. That would be fun. One of my friends sent me pictures this summer where they were in the New York subway, and they saw a couple in, like, their wedding clothes taking pictures in the New York subway. 
And she sent it to a group of us because she was like, oh my gosh, this is horrifying. Like, think about how filthy it is. And my response was, that's amazing. Yes, please. I mean, it's true. The woman's dress train is dragging on the floor of the subway. Yes. Which is gross. But worth it. Yeah. Public transit. But you can't clean it. Yeah. But you're you're not going to wear it again either. Well, if this is pictures, then it's probably, you know, before the wedding. Actually, I don't know how that works. Because you're not supposed to see the bride yeah, in her A dress. lot of people do it day of. Yeah. I don't know. Straight weddings, man. Who knows how those work? Well, you'll be finding out. I know. Guys, I'm the maid of honor in my sister's wedding. So I'll be, be learning a lot of stuff. Woo! Yeah, you'll have to give us updates on... We should cover like a maid of honor movie, like 27 Dresses or something. And or you can talk about your maid, maid of, of honor. honor. Or maid of honor. Starring Patrick Dempsey? I don't know. One of those white guys. No, it's... Isn't it starring the same guy from Camp Have Me Love? Is it? I'll pull it up. Yeah. I remember when it came out. That was another one that I just saw the commercials for on Cosby Show reruns, like Hitch. Yeah, I definitely saw. I have not seen it, but it's made with M-A-D-E. Yeah, I'm pulling it up on Wikipedia right now. Made of Honor stars Patrick Dempsey. Yep, so there we go. The spiritual sequel. The plot (laughs) follows a lifelong playboy who falls in love with his best friend only to have her get engaged and ask him to be her maid of honor. Yeah, the entire plot is basically just a man as a maid of honor. Yeah, I'm sure there are a lot of great and very tasteful and not at all homophobic jokes in it. Oh, I am sure. Okay, but back to Pretty Woman. So she says basically, no, I'm not going to be your personal prostitute. And she actually specifically says that. And Edward says, I've never treated you like a prostitute. Dubious claim. Very dubious. And her response is, you just did. Yeah. Um, Which, strong move by Vivian. And then, is this when he asked her to spend the night? Spend the last night. Last night, but only if she wants to. Yeah. Not because she's being paid. And she leaves. She leaves. Oh, but no, because the Jason Alexander thing happens before that. Oh my gosh, you're right. The worst part of the movie. Right. Um, Jason Alexander, after Edward spikes the deal. Yeah. This deal that's being made where he's supposed to buy up this company. They had been conspiring to keep it from getting a military contract that would have given it the money to keep going. Edward's now going to buy the company and help them turn it around. Make it better. Yeah. So he's going to basically become an investor in the company instead of taking it apart. And Jason Alexander is furious about this. He feels like his whole way of life is being shattered. Everything is ending. Yeah. And Edward is arguing with him like, look, I've made you very rich. I want to build things. I don't want to take them apart anymore. But Jason Alexander is livid about it. He goes to the penthouse to yell at Edward. And Edward's not there. So then instead he tries to rape Vivian. Yeah. It's horrifying. out of nowhere, it's horrifying, and then Edward shows up, punches him, and makes him leave. Right. It's another thing where the knight has to come protect her honor, though, to play back into the whole like fairy tale imagery that they keep relying on. And it's after that then that oh, so then she asks him if they teach guys how to hit women across the face, like you know every guy seems to know how to hit a woman oh yeah across the face and. Edward's response is, not all guys hit. And I was like, oh, Edward is a classic hashtag not all men. <laughs> yeah, hashtag not all men. <laughs> that's what I wrote in my notes. <laughs> oh, boy. But that's where he asks her to spend the night, but only if she wants to, not because he's paying her. And yeah. so she leaves. And she says that she's going to leave because someone at some point will always try right, to, to do... take advantage of the situation. Right. Yeah. Um, if he's not going to, like, formally date her then somebody will always try to take advantage of her status right like Jason which Alexander. is true it's very reasonable yeah and edward's response is my special gift is impossible relationship it's like okay edward yeah well um so then she leaves maybe try answering the phone when your girlfriend's in wife call yeah <laughs> instead of sending it all to your secretary so she leaves um she gets a ride home from oh what's his name daryl 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 is the best character in this movie he has maybe two speaking lines daryl drives a limousine owned by the hotel right and my favorite moment in this movie and again there's a lot about this movie that i enjoyed yeah Um, but my favorite moment is in the beginning when edward is at that party and he wants to leave to go to his hotel just like go to bed or whatever he tries to leave using the limo but Daryl can't get out because there are too many cars parked in. And Daryl just gives this shrug <laughs> yeah. wordlessly that's hysterical. Yeah. So the nice car he's driving is actually Jason Alexander's. Right. Um, yeah, so she says goodbye to Barney, the hotel manager, Hector played by Alzando. Hector Alessandro. And he speaks to her fondly. And it's like, oh, she's getting some fatherly approval. Because they both have daddy issues, I think. Oh, they definitely do. And yeah. she leaves, which takes us to our fifth and final point. Right. Where she's actually packing up. She's decided to move to San Francisco. 
and you know start over again yeah start a new life she is from originally a nondescript sort of countryish place and now she's going to move to san francisco and that's when edward goes to her apartment in like full the rich person version of say anything yeah <laughs> where he's in the limo i assume daryl is driving yeah he, oh daryl is driving because daryl drove her back to her place that's how daryl knows then, how to get there right because then edward goes down trying to find out what happened to her and hector elizondo is basically like daryl knows where she is yeah and so he's riding out of the sunroof while it's blasting the opera that they went to see yeah and then he climbs up the fire escape to her apartment despite his fear of heights he makes it one floor up yes and she comes down and meets him yeah and they make out and they live happily ever after well no that's where the movie goes to the credits so we don't know what happens next yeah that's what's implied yes um so this movie. This movie. Um, you know, to talk about the romance, I feel like we do need to talk about why we think it might have been so popular. Like, what do you think? This movie was a huge hit. Um, it has some solid jokes. It does. Yeah. Like, it's easy to watch. Richard Gere was, I think, a pretty big sex symbol at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know why specifically this movie blew up so much, but... It's just a very solid rom-com, yeah. I'd say. I really do come away with it. Well, like, Julia Roberts is a star. Yeah. And she does a great job in the movie. It's hard because it's, like, so much more than you'd expect. Like, it's really so much money. Yeah. So I don't know why this one in particular blew up that much. Yeah. Maybe there wasn't other good movies to see. I want to pull up the other, or the other top movies this year. Yeah. It's just, uh, you know, I'm a little confused. All right, so I'm going to read you the top ten for 1990. Yeah. All right. Number one, Home Alone. Great. Great movie. Uh, number two, Ghost. Oh, my God, Ghost. <laughs> yeah. Oh, we should watch we Ghost. Should watch. I've never I seen haven't Ghost. seen it. Yeah. Number three, Dances with Wolves. Okay. Number four, Pretty Woman. Number five, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Oh, that's a big drop. Number six, The Hunt for Red October. Number seven, Total Recall. Number eight, Die Hard 2, Die Harder. Is that what it's actually called? According to Box Office Mojo. Oh, God. Number nine, Dick Tracy. And number 10, Kindergarten Cop. Schwarzenegger's in here twice. Look at him. Yeah. It's the 90s. Yeah. By the way, 11 is Back to the Future Part 3. So, all right. I mean, these are like big action movies, a lot of them. Yeah. So, good for Pretty Woman. Yeah. But I mean, Home Alone's number one. Home Alone's number one. Where it belongs on that list. So, thinking about this movie, where would you rate it on our 10-point scale? We've got the 10-point scale for how much sense a romantic plotline makes, where one is absolutely no sense, which we gave last week to The Muppets Take Manhattan. Yeah. And then 10, which makes perfect sense, which we've never given to anything. I'd put it at a two, because I believe it less than While You Were Sleeping, I'd say. Yes, this is less than While You Were Sleeping, which was a three or four. Three or four, I can't remember. Yeah, I think I have to agree with you. Um, But more than The Muppets. It's it's substantially more than Muppets Take Manhattan. less wild. Yeah. I think while you were sleeping was a three, and which means that yeah, I would put this at a two. Yeah, the power imbalance is really problematic for it making sense. Yeah, but also you know, attractive white people fall in love. If there's one thing we've learned from movies, it's that this movie reminds me a lot of that Onion article that went around a couple of years ago of like woman decides to turn off awareness in her brain in order to enjoy an hour of television oh yeah and like that's kind of how i felt like watching this movie like if i ignore everything this movie is a ton of fun yeah oh that was a great article yeah that's a classic we'll dig that up and we'll post it on social media yeah for sure okay Uh, do you think vivian and edward are dateable no not really i don't think this one needs much explaining yeah edward is power hungry money obsessed jerk he's a business robot yeah he has no concept of taking a day off. Yeah. And he is bad in relationships, which we know from his several exes. And Vivian? Um, I don't know. It's hard for me because sometimes I'm just like, do I not want to date them just because they're a woman? <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> like, I think that is coloring my opinion sometimes. All right. That's fair. I'm just trying to think, like, I get the feeling no, but I can't really place my finger on why. Yeah. I kind of have the same impression. She's a bad singer. Well, yeah. Definitely have. She is a bad singer. Is Vivian a better or a worse name than Beverly? Better. Yeah, for sure. This would go above Beverly, of course, of Howard the Duck fame. That was a real thought I had watching this movie. I didn't just drop that in here. Yeah. No, I'm trying to think. Maybe Vivian. Yeah, she's a maybe for me. I just didn't feel a spark. I'm sorry. But who did you feel a spark for? If you had to date one person, who would it be? 
Um, probably Hector Elizondo. Uh, well, I'm picking Daryl then. Oh yeah, Daryl's my man. We don't know a lot about Daryl. We know that he's a nice, friendly guy. <laughs> Do we? I guess. Yeah. He drives the limo. Yeah. He where drives, people want to go. He drives the limo. Okay. Yeah, I think we've covered this movie. I would watch this movie. Like, I would recommend this movie to people. I think you should watch it because, like, you should. Like, it's one of those movies that everything references. Yeah. I'd also felt like I'd seen it because I knew all of the big moments. Yes, because it's so heavily referenced. But it is problematic. You will often feel uncomfortable, probably. It's the, you know, classic feel-good prostitution movie. (laughs) Yeah. Everyone's favorite genre. Yeah. I wonder if there's a category for that on Netflix. We will find it and tweet it (laughs) if there is. All right, that probably does it for this movie. I think so. We'll be sticking with rom-coms for the next couple of weeks now that we're back in the genre. They're sort of Mm. our bread and butter. And next week, we're going to be talking about Easy A. Yeah. We'll have a special guest, Nick Ebert. You'll learn more about who he is next week. Uh, I have never seen this, so I'm looking forward to it. I enjoy it. It's a fun one. But until then, you can follow the show on Facebook and Twitter at Heart of Podness. And make sure that you rate, review, and subscribe. That way, new episodes will come straight to you. And ratings and reviews help other people find the show. So they do a big help for us to help get the word out about the show. Hashtag Fifi Fierce. Hashtag Foot Forearm. Foot, hashtag foot forearm. Hashtag it's the sound, it's the feeling. Hashtag we love the love. Hashtag nice skin. Make sure to put all of our official <laughs> hashtags in your review. But if you do write a review, tell us what you think of this movie because I feel like it's a movie that we should talk about. Yeah, tweet at us too. We can get some of those conversations yeah. going. Love to do it. You can also email us questions or movie suggestions at heartofpodness at gmail.com. Remember to start your email with LTWFTW. Right, yeah. We want to work in as many listener suggestions as we can because... Almost every movie applies to this show. Yeah, we could do almost anything. Okay, last question. Dating advice. Go. Give people strawberries. Oh, yeah, that did seem to work. He does that when they first go out to the hotel. He's like, here are some strawberries. Enjoy them. I'm like, that would work on me. Yeah. Um, that maybe from the very first shot, sleight of hand. Oh, yes. The first shot of this movie. I forgot about that. Is a magician. We don't see his face. Yeah, it's just... A shot of someone doing sleight of hand tricks at a party. With, like, a giant coin. Yeah. It seemed to be working. Yeah, which kind of comes back when the first night that Vivian and Edward have sex, and she basically lets him pick the condom that he wants to use, and one of them is packaged like a big coin. Oh, yeah. And I was like, oh, it's like the beginning of the movie. Oh, I didn't connect that at all. Well, I assume The Magicians is not meant to be Yeah, probably not. Maybe it is. Who knows? Yeah. All right, that probably does it for us. Until next time, I'm a ginger. And I'm gay, so between the two of us, we know everything there is to know about romance. Bye! Pretty woman walking down the street. Do you want me to just quietly sing that? The whole episode. The the whole episode. (laughs) Okay. Some silence. All right.